are very excited for VBS this week. It's been a long, long, long few weeks of preparation and decoration and many long days and late hours, but I do want to sincerely thank uh, about 30 of you who showed up yesterday and helped us get all of the classrooms ready and helped us get this uh, amazing set ready for the main stage. Thank you. Give yourselves a round of applause. The rest of the church, give them a round of applause. I absolutely mean this from the bottom of my heart. We would not have been ready for VBS if it hadn't have been for you. And just a quick reminder, if you are volunteering for VBS, please stick around after services for a quick meeting, some pizza, and we're going to finish the decorating process. Hopefully it'll only take us about an hour or so. And even if you're not volunteering, but you want to stick around and help out with that, we would love to have your help. So... I haven't been up here in a while, as you guys know. We've had a couple of guest speakers. Uh, Brother Glenn spoke a couple of weeks ago. Michael Wexler did an excellent job last week. So I am happy to be back here with you today. And hopefully I can make it through this lesson without tripping over anything up here. Uh, but if I do, make sure that you record it. And that way you can put it on YouTube and it'll probably go viral. Um, I feel like I'm back in Phoenix, to be honest with you, with all this desert landscape and rocks and cactus and everything else. But hopefully no scorpions. Um, but anyway, so I thought it would... It would be apropos today to talk about the idea of being transformed. And the reason that I thought about that was because we have clearly transformed our stage. For those of you who are visiting, we don't normally decorate this much for a normal Sunday. But, but we transform this stage into being something completely different than what it was. If you came to the church last Sunday and you were here last Sunday, you saw a very plain stage with some very brown carpet and a very pretty green background. But that's it. But yet when you walked in today, you saw something completely different than what you would have seen last Sunday. Now next Sunday you'll probably see this again, but the Sunday after that it'll be transformed once again back to kind of our normal stage setup. But this whole idea of transformed got me thinking about some things, and it got me thinking about the transformation process that you and I go through. And it got me thinking about the miracles of Jesus. It got me thinking about these amazing things that Jesus did during his time on earth. Now, this is obviously just a few of the miracles that Jesus did. But he turned water into wine. He healed the royal officer's son. He healed the demonic possessed man. He fed the 5,000. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, what I want to look at today is I want to look at a story from the Gospel of John. I want to look at a story from the New Testament. Because when we jump into the New Testament, we have to remember that miracles hadn't been seen in about 400 years. But I want to look today at one of the important miracles of Jesus. But before we jump into that, let's backtrack. Let's backtrack back to Isaiah. And if you look with me in Isaiah chapter 35... And we start in verse 5, it reads, Then will the eyes of the blind be open, and the ear of the deaf unstopped. It says, Then the lame will leap like a deer, and their mute tongue shout out for joy. It says, Water will gush from the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now that, is, of course, is Isaiah prophesying about the fact that one day Jesus would come and that Jesus would perform these amazing miracles. So the question that I want to look at is why miracles? Why did Jesus perform miracles during his time here on earth? Was he just putting on a show? Was he trying to show off? No, of course he was not doing that. But he came to fulfill the prophecies. 
See, he came to fulfill and to prove to people that he really was the son of man, that he was not just another man, that he was not just somebody walking around claiming to be something that he was not. He came to prove the divinity of Christ. In just a little bit, we're going to spend some time in in the book of John. And the, the main reason that John wrote his gospel was to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. Another thing, that the reason that Jesus did these miracles is because Jesus lived a life of service. He lived the life of a servant. He says, I came to serve and not to be served. And Jesus did some amazing things to help some people out. And of course, he did this to convince others to follow him. To convince others to get on board with this amazing thing that Jesus was trying to do during his brief ministry on earth. So today we're going to look at his very first miracle. And that was, the, that was at the wedding feast when Jesus turns water into wine. Now, don't tune me out because I know some of you are going, I already know that story. And I hope that you do. That's great. That means you've been spending time in the word. But what I want to look at today is why Jesus did what he did. And more importantly, what are the things that you and I can learn from this and take away from this and apply to our daily lives based on this miracle that took place so very long ago? So let's get a little context here. When we get into our scripture, when we get into this verse, we're going to see that it talks about this being the third day. And what that means is Jesus had just come onto the scene, right? Jesus had just kind of made his, his appearance. He had just kind of started becoming known because, see, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' childhood. We, we know that he went to the temple and that he was teaching the temple and that he was about his father's business. We talked about that last week. But we don't really know much about Jesus until he kind of arrives on the scene in the first chapter of John. So when it says it was the third day, that means this was kind of the the day three of Jesus' ministry, day three of Jesus' time here on earth. Now that's pretty significant, and we're going to circle back to that a little bit later on. But we also know that John refers to him as the Lamb of God, John being John the Baptist, of course refers to him as the Lamb of God. It's also important to understand that in the beginning of John, we also see that Jesus is starting to assemble his crew, so to speak. He's assembling his team. He's assembling his first followers. And three of these names you probably recognize, and one of them maybe you don't, but it's Andrew, Simon, Peter, Philip, and then there's this guy, Nathaniel. Now, we know that later on, Nathaniel is actually not one of the 12. He's kind of a friend of a friend, so to speak. He's a friend of Philip. He was a friend of Bartholomew. If you remember the story, Nathaniel was the one sitting under the fig tree that Jesus called to follow him. So he was definitely a follower. He was definitely a disciple. But Jesus is starting to assemble his team. He's starting to assemble his followers. Now, it's important that you understand that because when we get into the story a little bit later on, it's important that you understand who these people were and why they were there. Now, this story talks about the wine and it talks about the wedding feast. And there's a lot of controversy about this particular story and this particular miracle because some people like to say, oh, well, you know, Jesus turned water into wine because he wanted everybody to get drunk. Now, if you spend some time in your Bible, you know that that's not the case. And we know that later on, what does the Bible very specifically says that we are not to be drunk. We are not to be drunkards. So you can't really use this as an argument to get drunk. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. But nevertheless, this is the first miracle that Jesus performed during his time on earth. It was the beginning of his ministry. Now, I find it very interesting that the very first 
miracle that Jesus did is only found in one of the four Gospels. This story is only recorded in the book of John. And I find that very interesting. Now, I can't sit here and, and, and pretend to explain to you why that is, because I don't know. Maybe that's one of those things that one day when we get to heaven, if there's a question and answer session, you know, like, hey, why was that only in one book? I don't know. I don't know if that'll happen or not. But John wrote his gospel with the intention and with the purpose and with the framework of his entire gospel is to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. And he doesn't waste any time getting that started. So again, what I want you to think about and what we want to look at as we go through this story, because again, this is probably a fairly common story for most of us, is I want to look at what are the lessons that you and I can take out of this. Because see, if we just read the story, if we just read the scripture, that's great. You're checking the box. You're spending time in the word. But are you really studying it? Are you really understanding it? And most importantly, are you applying it to your daily life? Because if we miss that part, then the rest of it doesn't really matter. So let's jump in. We're going to be in John chapter 2. Open your Bibles. I want you to read with me. John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. John chapter 2, verse 1. Again, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, we don't know exactly whose wedding this is, but it's clearly a friend or an acquaintance of some type because they were invited. So they were not wedding crashers. They were invited to the party. Now, it's also important that you know that at this time and in this place, weddings were a little bit different. Now, today, if you get invited to a wedding and that wedding starts at 4 o'clock, you, as a rule, you go to the wedding and they say some vows and they exchange some rings and they go off for three hours and take pictures. And then you have dinner at some point and maybe some dancing and the party's over. And that's kind of typical of how weddings work today. I'm blessed to do some weddings here and there. But back in this time, these things went on for days. This was not just a one-and-done type of a thing. This was not just a Saturday afternoon. This was days of celebrating and eating and drinking and being together. So this was not just a a, a one-afternoon thing. This would have been a day-after-day-after-day occurrence. If we pick up in verse 3, it says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. There's our first lesson. There's our first lesson. When, when his mother realized that the wine was about to run out, where did she go? She went to Jesus. Which is interesting because remember, Jesus just came onto the scene. He hasn't really done anything yet, just yet, by design. But what did his mother do when the wine was about to run out? She didn't go to the master of the feast and say, Psst, hey, You're almost out of wine. She went straight to Jesus. And that's our first lesson. That's our first takeaway from this miracle is where do we go when we're in trouble? Where do we go when we need help? Where do we go when times get tough? Where do we go? Do we fall back to our bad habits? Do we look to our addictions? Do we look to the world for help, or do we go to Jesus? Because as we know in this story, Jesus can turn water into wine, and he can also fix the problems that you and I have in our lives. But we have to go to him, and Mary sets that example. Now, the story of Mary is fascinating. I love the story of Mary because 
she has been through so much during her story. From, from finding out she was going to be pregnant as a virgin, all the way through being there with Jesus when he was on the cross. But she sets a very important example here. It doesn't say she went to the servants. It doesn't say she went to the head of the feast. It says she went to Jesus. She went to the person she knew could fix the problem. So I ask again, where do you and I go when we need somebody to fix the problem? And unfortunately, the answer to that question is sometimes we go to all the wrong places. Verse 4, it says, Woman, why do you involve me? Now again, I've told you guys this before and I'll tell you again. This is not a derogatory term. Jesus is not talking bad to his mother. This was a very common way that they referred to women. It was not derogatory in any way. See, I almost tripped. It was not derogatory. He was not demeaning his mother. He was not talking down to his mother. He is simply saying, hey, what, what, what are you telling me for? Well, why are you bringing this to me? It says, Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, it's important that you don't miss this, this little phrase right in the middle where Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Jesus had no intention of performing a miracle that day. Jesus had no intention of solving a problem that way. Jesus was a guest at a wedding. He was intending to go to this wedding, fellowship, talk, have fun with people, probably enjoy a good meal. He had no intention of performing a miracle. But as they do sometimes, Mama came along and said, oh, yes, you will. Now, it's also interesting to note in this, in this verse, the last phrase says, do whatever he tells you. Again, Mary is really driving the show today, right? She went to Jesus. She basically said, hey, you got to fix this. And then she turns to the servants and says, hey, whatever he tells you to do, that's what you need to do. Now, there's our lesson number two. See, Jesus is the one we should obey without question. Do whatever he tells you to. There's our lesson number two. Are we doing what Jesus has instructed us to do? Are we living our own lives? Are we living a life for Jesus every single day? Or are we living a life for me, me, me? Now, we're very fortunate. We, we have this amazing book, right, called the Bible. And these days, hardcover Bibles or softcover Bibles are getting fewer and farther between. But the good news is, we can have our Bibles everywhere, right? Because we all have something in our pocket or our purse, right? It's called a cell phone, and it's got a Bible app, and it's even free. He gave us the instructions. So when it says, do what he tells you to do, and I encourage us to do what he tells us to do, it's right there at your fingertips. You just have to look for it. Like anything else, you have to open it for it to work. Your car doesn't start if you don't turn the key. You don't find the instructions. You don't find Jesus' will for your life if you don't spend time in the Word. Do what he tells you to do. Verse 6 says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons of water. And I put the picture up there just to give you kind of an idea of what these might have looked like. Now, there were no iPhones back then, so I can't tell you exactly what they looked like at this particular wedding feast. 
But they probably looked something like this. Now, the part that got my attention was 20 to 30 gallons. That's big. And that's heavy. And that's a lot. You figure milk is, what, one gallon usually, or maybe a half gallon. Of course, if you're in my house, you go through about 10 gallons a week. But these huge pots of water, and they were ready, and they were nearby, and these were used for ceremonial washing, because, see, that was a practice that the Jews had. These were used to clean. They were used to, 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 to wash things away. And verse 7 says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Verse 8 says, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. See, they got the memo when Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, I want you to do it. Now, I want you to, for just a moment, I want you for just a moment to put yourself in the hands or in the mindset or in the lives of the servants. Now, the servants knew what was going on. The servants knew that the wine was about to run out. And Jesus tells them to take, to, to, to take these big, giant, 30-gallon jars and fill them with water. Now, what do you think the servant was thinking? Uh, excuse me, we're not running out of water. We're running out of wine. How is this going to help? And then you want me to take this water and take it to the head of the feast. This guy's going to fire me. I'm never getting a job as a waiter at a wedding again. That's what they had to be thinking. Because he didn't say, look, I've got some wine over here. Take it to the head of the feast. He said, look, fill the jugs up with water and take it over there. See, sometimes we have to do some weird things so that Jesus can perform miracles. Now, when I say weird, some of these things may not seem weird to you and me, but they seem weird to others. Some of the things that you and I do seem weird to others. We take communion every Sunday, and we talk about eating the body and drinking the blood. Now, I'm being facetious, of course. But how does that sound, and how does that look to someone who's unchurched? They probably think that's pretty crazy. And see, we're, we're, we're asked to live a life counter-culturally. We're, we're asked to, to turn the other cheek. We're asked to love others. We're asked to accept others, no matter what. And see, that goes against what our culture tells us. It goes against what our heart sometimes tells us. See, we're called to be counter-cultural. These servants had to be thinking, what are we doing? What are we doing? Why? Why, why am I going to take water? This guy's going to fire me. But see, Jesus had something better in store. So sometimes we have to do things that don't make sense to us because he has a bigger plan. See, that's part of trusting in Jesus. We don't always understand the plan. We don't understand why things happen. And we may never understand why things happen. But what we do know is that by faith, we walk with Jesus and he has the plan. He has a plan for us. And sometimes we got to do some weird things to get to the plan. It says, and the master of the banquet tested the water that had been turned into wine. It says he did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
And then he called the bridegroom aside. This is Jesus' first miracle. Now, we don't know where the actual transition took place. We don't know if it's when they put the water in, it became wine, or as the servant was carrying it over, did it become wine, and it doesn't really matter. But what we do know is the servants just said, okay, we'll do it. They did exactly what Jesus asked them to do, and what did Jesus do in return? He performed a miracle. He performed a miracle. See, this is what I love about this story, and this is the part I want you to not miss. This is the part that I want you to to tune in for just a minute and, and hear this if you don't hear anything else. The water pots weren't transformed. What was inside them was transformed. And that's the exact same thing that happens to you and I when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. When we're baptized in the water and we come up out of the water, we don't look any different, chances are. We might be cleaner, I don't know. But we don't look any different. Now, do I wish maybe I could be better looking by getting baptized? Of course, but it doesn't work that way. Is there a physical sign on me once I get baptized and I give my life to Christ? No, I'm just like these pots. From the outside, I probably look exactly the same. But what's inside is transformed. And see, that's the message that I want you to get this morning. We're transformed by Jesus Christ. I went through a period in my life that was really difficult. And I had some things happen in my life. And unlike this story where Mary turned to Jesus, I turned away from Jesus. And I'm just being transparent this morning. And I went through a period of my life that I'm not proud of. I'm not proud of it. I made some mistakes. I did some things that I wish I hadn't have done. And then Jesus did something amazing, and he sent Lizzie into my life. And after Lizzie and I had been dating for a while, and and things were fantastic, things were going great, I said, there's just something not right. There's just something not right. Like our relationship is fantastic, but there's something missing. And we both looked at each other and said, I think we need to go to church. And I started looking up churches in the area. And I was living on the the far side of Mission Viejo. And I grew up born and raised Church of Christ. So, of course, I started searching for Church of Christ. And I found this church. And I walked in the back door of this church, very nervous. I hadn't been to church in a long time. Maybe some of you walked in nervous this morning. And I came right down over here, and I sat down. And about two minutes later, somebody came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you're in my seat. Can you move? Now, I say that jokingly, but that actually happened. I actually had somebody say, could you move? You're in my seat. I won't name any names. And I did. I moved. (laughs) But on my way out of church that morning, I made a connection with the preacher who kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, it's great to have you here. Is there anything I can be praying for you? Is there anything I can help you with? And that started a relationship. Started a relationship that started my journey back to Jesus Christ. And it doesn't happen overnight. 
It wasn't like the water into wine. Jesus didn't just snap his fingers and I was healed and I was fixed. It took some time. And then after I'd been here for a little while, I came right up here and I stood right about here. And I gave my testimony to the church. And I asked for prayers. And I rededicated my life to Jesus. Now from the outside, I probably didn't look any different. But what was inside was transformed. What was inside was transformed, and I was able to put away those mistakes that I had been making. And I was able to walk away from that life that I had been living. My physical appearance wasn't any different. Now, my behavior was, for sure. But much like the pots, it's what's inside that gets transformed. And there's only one person that can do that. And it's not me. And it's not the elders of our church, and it's not the deacons of our church, and it's not the song leaders of our church, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. But just like we see in our story today, there are some key factors, there are some key things that need to, look, that need to take place, and that's that we need to look for Jesus, and we need to answer Jesus, and we need to obey Jesus. Verse 10 says, And said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best for last. Or you have saved the best for now. See, just like that wine, when Jesus makes something, he makes it even better. And I chose this image for a reason, because this is exactly what happens when you are truly transformed by Jesus. You are new. You are no longer the old self. You are no longer the old person. You are new in Christ. And I thank God every day for that. I thank God every day that I'm not that person that I was because I'll be honest with you, you guys probably wouldn't like me very much. But see, Jesus came back into my life and he transformed my life and now he's using me to help transform other people's lives. See, Jesus made me so much better than I ever could have been on my own. I hate to think where I would be today if he hadn't sent Lizzie into my life and we hadn't have found this church. I don't know where I would be, but I can guarantee you I wouldn't be right here talking to you about Jesus. See, Jesus transformed me, and he can transform you and he can transform your coworkers, and he can transform your neighbors. And he can even transform those people you just can't stand. But we have to let him, and we have to invite him in. We finish up our story, it says, what Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples real quick. These first four followers of Jesus. What do you think they were thinking? Now, now keep in mind, fast forward a couple years and Jesus has done this 20 or 30 times. The apostles were probably just kind of like, mm, par for the course, he does this kind of stuff. But imagine this very first time. Your friend invites you to a wedding. Hey, let's go to the wedding. And then turns water into wine. 
Imagine what they must have been thinking. And I hope that as you and I read this story this morning, and I hope that as you and I try and process these lessons that we can learn this morning, we are still in awe of the one true and living God. Are you still in awe today? Are you still in awe of Jesus? I guess not. I hope that we're all still in awe of Jesus, because guess what? The same Jesus that did this is the same Jesus that loves you today. And guess what? He can still do miracles. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen right here in this church. We've seen people that said, doctors say, there's nothing we can do. This is it. It's over. And Jesus says, no, 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 not yet. We've seen people who were given zero chance be fully recovered by the power of Jesus Christ. Because he can and will do miracles in your life if you allow him to transform you. So quickly, the lessons that we learned from today. Turn to Jesus, not away from Jesus. When bad things happen in your life, when troubles come, because they will, right? We're, we're told in the Bible, troubles are going to be there, hard times are going to be there. Turn to him and not away from him. See, that was the mistake I made. When my life got tough, I turned away from Jesus instead of turning to Jesus, and I lost about eight years of my life because of it. Jesus is the one we should obey without question. And again, that comes from the word of God. Jesus changes things by his will. In this miracle, Jesus didn't physically do anything. He didn't physically pour the water. He didn't physically crush the grapes. He simply, by his will, changed water into wine. He alone can save us from our sins. And the best part about that is we have hope. We have hope that this is not the end. We have hope that this is not where our story stops, but we have eternity to spend in the most amazing place that you and I can imagine. See, Jesus has the power to change things by his will if we will simply obey him. Maybe you've never had a chance to obey the gospel. Maybe you've never had a chance to be transformed by the love and the power of Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to do that this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to invite Skeeter to come back up. I'm going to invite our elders to come down front. And you have an opportunity to be baptized, to have your past life removed, to have your past sins taken away, and to arise in newness of life, and to truly, just like the pots were, be transformed on the inside. Or, or maybe like me, maybe like me, you grew up a Christian, you were a Christian your whole life, and you just went off the rails like I did. Maybe today is that day that you want to say, Jesus, please win me back. Please take me back. I'm going to invite you to come forward. We would love to talk to you. We would love to pray for you. We would love to help you in any way that we can as we stand together and as we sing. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end. 
It will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you. Nothing else matters Nothing in this world will do Jesus, you're the center 